0: Hello and welcome to the Sportsloft podcast where we talk about the intersection of sports and media with the world of technology and where we talk to some of the most forward-thinking and exciting technology companies in the world of sports. Today we have a a great announcement with the newest member of Sportsloft who are Monterosa. Some of you may know them, some of you may not, but very exciting stuff that they're up to. And we're joined by the CEO and co-founder Tom McDonald. Sorry, Tom McDonald. I should pronounce that correctly. That'd be a good start. Uh, Tom, welcome to the Sports Loft
1: podcast. Thanks. You're not the first person to ever do that. Don't worry. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I
0: feel like Tom McDonald is probably a famous person. And joining me as ever is the founder, grandee, grand vizier, brains, and beauty behind Sports Loft, Charlie Greenwood. Charlie, welcome back.
2: It's not the beauty at all. Uh, Thank thank you,
0: Annie, for for, what a lovely introduction. So um, today we're going to take a moment to talk about um, our newest Sportsloft member, as I said, Monterosa, which is a complete fan engagement platform, which is powering 24-7 fan engagement for the leading rights holders in sports. Monterosa joined Sportsloft this month, February 2024, and includes the Six Nations, Liverpool FC, who I am reliably informed will be getting a mention shortly. ITV, EA Sports, Paramount, and my former uh, employer's Formula E amongst its clients. But to give a more detailed and uh, definitely far more educated background to Monterosa, over to Tom. Tom, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Thanks, Yanni, Charlie, good to see you. Where to start, fan engagement. It's a term, isn't it, which has many definitions, but in the context of technology, as there's a category that has emerged not by our own doing, but it's a category of, of, of software which has emerged, I think, over the last sort of three to five years. Where why, why does fan engagement technology exist? Because organizations, all the ones that you just mentioned, and then some, have a critical interest in the amount of attention that they can transact upon. You know, the, the, the amount of human beings, we call them fans, but the amount of humans that they can talk to uh, and the cost of that conversation, that attention has become, you know, mission critical, particularly when D 2 C business models have come in. And so this this concept of fan engagement technology and its very broad spectrum definition has emerged out of out of that the need to generate that attention, data and transactions that all come off the back of it. And so our, our platform, we call it a fan engagement platform, is designed to make it much easier and quicker for organizations to inject the kind of capabilities that we know are needed in order to keep people coming back and to kind of f- fight the the frenemies in the room. The frenemies in the room, of course, uh, everything that's on your screen time. If you have a look at screen time in your top 10, I don't know what it is, but you know, pe- pe- people, by and large, will have at least one social network in there, if not four. <laughs> and they, they've probably got WhatsApp in there as well. You know, that's, that's where attention is now, and we help them uh, compete with that use of time by creating really compelling fun rewarding experiences that live with inside their owned and operated platforms that's what the, that's what the
0: technology does so we'll, we'll dive into that and lots of exciting stuff that you guys are doing for uh, a variety of different rights holders and and broadcast platforms but speaking of rewarding and exciting experiences as you know we always start the podcast by asking for people's favorite sports moment of the week and i think for anybody who knows you. Yours will not be a surprise. We're recording this on Monday, the 26th of February, and yesterday was, <laughs> was, was quite a moment. So, Tom, what was your favourite sports moment of the week?
2: Well,
1: the 118th minute of the game. <laughs> 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 I, can, I can just hear, I can hear what people are going to say about the cup itself. But, you know, it was a, it's a good moment and uh, a, a good way to start off, hopefully, a run of other wins. Mm.
0: Well, it's also, given the monumental importance of Jurgen Klopp to the football club uh, over the past few years, um, It it is the first piece of silverware, uh, potentially not the last, uh, which he has won since his announcement. And um, I think that, that, that will play, um, I, I mentioned that because that is um, his announcement and the way that it was handled by the club was actually a really great example of fan engagement and sort of putting the fans first announcing it on the team's official platform making sure that the fans were the first to know um so a theme to uh, to to carry through charlie what was your favorite sports moment of the week
2: well as wolves labored horribly yesterday i'm not going to pick a pick a wolves one.
0: Oh god here we go <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, I know. I'm going to go for, and this is going to be a slightly weird one in that it's not a win, but actually that the whole series between India and England at the moment in, in the cricket, I think is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And OK, so England lost last night, this morning, however you phrase it. Um, so 3-1 down in the in the series. So the series is gone. But what's been amazing is every morning waking up and just the extreme sort of um, chopping and changing from the fortunes of both teams, I think, has been brilliant. So you kind of go to bed; it got absolutely no idea what's going to happen, and then I think probably only with the exception of one test, all the others have changed dramatically within the actual games, which I think has been brilliant. Uh, now, whether you agree with baseball and all of this sort of stuff and uh, different matter, but actually the entertainment and the not knowing what's going to happen, I think, has been just fantastic
0: that's uh definitely sounds like a good one and sorry sorry to hear about wolves uh laboring (laughs) um i'm going to cheat just a little bit and claim that uh arsenal women versus man united women was a week ago it was obviously probably probably about 10 days ago but seeing the emirates sold out for for that event just shows the development and the growth of how things are going and then to actually see arsenal win 3-1 in rather impressive fashion was uh was quite a good one um, and uh, and a wonderful birthday present for my daughter who is an Arsenal fan for her birthday week. So I'll take that one. Speaking of all of that and kind of parcel- parceling it up together, fan engagement is obviously something that a lot of um, rights holders are, are, are really focusing on, Tom, as you mentioned, and really diving into with a lot of attention, both in terms of keeping the attention of the fan but also gathering first-party data in order to figure out how they are able to monetize it. Talk to us about how you thought about bringing software and technology into delivering better fan engagement on behalf of rights holders.
1: Well, there's a problem, isn't there, that you can express it in different ways. Let's say you're a rights holder, just just for argument's sake. There's a bunch of people out there who are already pretty big fans of your sport, whatever it might be. There's a predisposition to take part and to be interested in something which is an incredible advantage when you think about it as a business. You know most businesses start off with quite the opposite nobody's interested in them. So that's great. But then primary, the vessels for your content and for that engagement are generally not your own. You know you generally sold off those rights or you're using social media as your conduit which one one would see both of those things as a, as a good thing. However, you know you don't control or own any of that do you you've either sold it or you've kind of partnered with the you know with the social network if if there is such a phrase anymore with the media companies they are so what do you do about that you either accept it or you go well there must be room for me too in this and there should be room because you know what my key partners are demanding that I prove the level of the scale of the audience and the quality of the audience and so on and I also do you know what? I'm still going to sell some tickets and you know I've still got to sell merch and in future when that deal elapses, you know, maybe on the next right cycle, I'm not going to get anywhere like as much money as I used to. Potentially, not everyone. Um, what What am I going to do? What am I going to sell people directly? So you've got all of, all of that going on. Now that's fine, and that's the kind of strategic discussion that most organisations are very well set up for. But what they're not very well set up for, in general, with exceptions, is building product that competes against effectively, you know, that list that we we're talking about before. Yeah. You look at the, the, the number of engineers and the skill sets that exist within Meta or Byte Dance or whoever, or you know, I was like Duolingo is a good example. You know, yeah. incredibly well resourced businesses. So how does a, a rights holder, which is a fraction of the scale, compete in terms of their product? That's the problem we're trying to help solve: is to cut out all of the kind of the things that you have to reinvent and you know pay somebody to build for you in terms of code what we're trying to do is get you you know 80% 90% of the way there so that that last mile of creativity you know the sort of gamification of an experience that, that that can be that can be molded to your specific sport yeah. to the cricket to the context of football soccer to rugby rather than having to start from scratch and keep going because that is a problem that's you know been faced yeah. by most organizations so what we're trying to do is create a unified approach to it so that I say trying, I think we've achieved this for the large part, is is a piece of software that you can go to and subscribe to and then get access like a it's a bit like a private app store. You can get access to ready-made components that you can go and drop into your app, your website, or activate it from social and so on. You can use those components to encourage people to show up. Games, challenges, voting, all this kind of stuff. So that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to make it easier and give organizations inspiration, you know, ideas, creativity, because it doesn't stand still, does it? We all get bored of stuff. Yeah. You don't do the same thing again, 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 unless there's, you know, a large degree of money at the end of it, which sometimes there is, but it, it's a creative process and it's one that is hampered by cost and time and complexity. And we're trying to make it all simpler.
0: You're describing the interactive cloud, which we'll get to in a second, which is sort of the private app store that you guys have developed, as you say, where rights holders can come in and select different integrations with their digital and social platforms. Where did you start? Did you start with a product? Did you start as a team of developers going in to solve individual problems? Talk to us a little bit about your evolution and how you started to tackle that problem and how you got rights holders on board to understand the problem and commit to you guys.
1: Oh, we started by getting it wrong. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, start started by feeling the pain of the problem ourselves. We were a little agency specialized in TV interactivity. Um, back, back in the day, the BBC were our only customer. You know, we, were, we were behind you know, interaction with Wimbledon or the FA Cup or whatever they were doing, plus game shows as well. So we have an entertainment strand. Although we always had a sort of core piece of technology, which was reputationally strong, it was the thing that powers the communication. Uh, it just wasn't like, it was too much of a heavy lift each time. It took too long. It was too expensive. So, so we, we had that problem in various guises for years as effectively an agency. And re- realizing during that process that this thing, this thing won't scale unless we start hiring hundreds of people. We just didn't really want to be a hundreds of people business. So we started building software and we built, we built the platform firstly and got it wrong. We built it badly. And that's what I see a lot of is we, we built monolithic software, which yeah. like, we're not here to talk about the engineering, say, but the engineering really mattered. We just, we made too many commitments and assumptions about the way that people would behave and locked it in and it didn't work. And then we went again. We went again and spent all of our money on it. You know, we were making a profit at the time and we were pum- pumping it all back in and we just, we got it right the second time ish. Yeah. And we've been round, round, around, around, and finally you realise at a certain point in time that what you've got fits what the market needs, and there's a there's a meshing of those two things, and that's that's where we find ourselves now is where breadth becomes vital. Yeah, you know, fan engagement cannot just be one little fantasy game. Yeah. it can't just be one player of the month vote. It can't just be one of those things. It's everything like it's everything I do as a fan so many ideas out there we're all fans of different sports to different degrees aren't we or in fact different subject matters in general you know we I could be entertained as a Liverpool fan as much right now going back over yesterday's antics as as I can during the game itself yeah you know I I, I, see what I mean it's like like it's it's continuous isn't it so so with that comes engineering problems and that's that's where we where we've been led now is this really modular system it's very quick to spin up, really, kind of quite quite fun, advanced, novel ideas. But it's also really quick to deliver pre-existing stuff that you can just drop into, you know, the Six Nations app, for example, or um, you know, for- Formula E's uh, event center, if they wanted to do that, for example.
0: Speaking of getting it wrong, I have to apologise. It's uh, it is the interaction cloud, not the interactive cloud um so we'll correct that going forwards. that's that's now two um pretty fundamental mistakes that i've made so i'm going to endeavor not to go for the hat trick but charlie you had a you had a question for tom
2: yeah so tom one of the things i was kind of wondering as you were talking then is when you've been talking to to clients and potential clients fun engagement is not something that's that's new that's only happened in the last couple of years it's been around as an idea for quite a long time are you finding that lots of people are saying oh yeah we've already got like a a man-of-the-match vote or we've already got like a, a team picker. Um, how do you sort of work with that where people are saying they've already got a component of, uh, of what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, in
1: almost all cases, that would be true. And that's, I mean, as a business, that's normally a good sign for us because it means there's, there's something to do better. But but really, it if, if you peel back the layers of it. Why are we actually doing this in the first place? We're doing it for attention and data primarily, and hopefully a transaction at some point. Not everybody needs the transaction, but by, by and large, get somebody to show up, spend time, uh, have a good time, enjoy, enjoy themselves. That's really, really important. And Then at some point, sign up, provide data willingly with consent, and then maybe buy something later. If if you imagine an organisation that's got maybe three little things that they do to try and generate that loyalty and that that kind of repetition, then that's only three, isn't it? Right, we've we've got about three hundred, you know, if you combine them in certain ways. So you've got breadth. You've also then got the aggregation and the organisation of the data itself. So this is it gets quite complex. You know, it, it's a, a quiz is not a quiz. You know, a quiz, for example, where You know, there's 10 seconds on, I don't know, Liverpool Football Club in the 80s um, and early 90s. That's something something that I might do quite well at. Um, And you can probably infer my age and my predisposition and some of my preferences and maybe what retro shirt to suggest that I buy. You can infer quite a lot of that data. But you've got to walk... That's actually quite easy to do now, by the way. You know, various marketing platforms will do that. But actually getting that data in an organized fashion in a consistent format and then being able to put it where it needs to be i that's really t- it's really time consuming and really complicated so we we do all of that you know kind of in very short order now the system just does it and so you start to see these advantages come through it's like okay breadth simple business model subscription lots of customization possible if you want if you want if you want to invest in your own thing you can create your own thing but you could you can also access what's there and then data, and then the whole, like, support thing. Like, you know, it's round the clock, isn't it? Well. The sport doesn't stop. The world is not, like, it's just one world, but it's umpteen time zones. So we have the, the whole infrastructure around it. We've got people who stay up until God knows what time, you know, monitoring one thing or another. And, you know, ha- having all of that with security, you know, with tight security around data, the, all that stuff really matters to people now that's what we're finding anyway
2: and are you finding that for example like um you know you, you mentioned the six nations but also formula e but are you finding that there are certain types of engagement that work better in certain sports or the certain types that actually work better together with each other and there's a sort of like almost an optimum sort of number of the sort of engagements that people uh, tend to have
1: yes i suppose if you go into it you know not not all not not all sports are the same to say the leading obvious, but not also not all attention patterns are the same. So you know, like in football, we'd have the team lineup announced an hour before kickoff. That generates its own spike. It's a really specific thing in football, uh, in particular if you're a fan of one of the teams in particular. Like oh, quit who you know who's who's on the bench. That that moment is it turns out the optimal moment to to get people to show up to. a to an app primarily or you can send an email or a push or a whatsapp or whatever but that's a really optimal moment to then make a prediction about what the score will be so you do see patterns that are different yeah it is different per sport but we see more commonalities because fundamentally we're all just people right and we all have similar kind of things that will motivate us we have similar ways that we can be incentivized and so on. there are more commonalities than our differences i'd say
0: how much willingness to share data and share that kind of information do you see from fans who engage with these fan engagement tools compared to let's say you know one of the social platforms or traditional advertising or um, quizzes or whatever it might be um, and 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 the reason that I ask is that obviously the ability to get like you described very very clearly the ability to get more and more data will facilitate further interactions and further transactions down the line. So how, how much do these tools facilitate that and make it richer?
1: There's the, the variances we see are dramatic, Mm. right? So if you're looking at all sport or in fact, all entertainment, you can't, it's too broad spectrum to benchmark against that. You've got to go down and build cohorts and so on. If you sort of try to generalize sport, generally has this predisposition this passion built in and the conversion rates are higher i mean the conversion rates for most things are higher in sports because i'm already interested in it there's there's an unlimited amount of lfc content or emails or push notifications i've got three different lfc orientated apps on my phone and i look at all the push notifications (laughs) like i have not pressed that (laughs) button to turn them off because i just you know it's great so like there is there there is a we've got a baked in advantage for sure. However, if people have tolerances, and they want something in return. Some some people, and and so you've got to you know there's got to be value exchange. Like if you sign up for this, if you sign up for you know playing this game, uh, then you get a chance to win something. It's a simple mechanic. It's not always about winning, but you've got to give them something back.
0: Mm. How much do you? How much are you seeing in interactions with rights holders an appetite for technology to try to solve their problems? Um, and especially given the journey that you've been on over the last few years, no rights holders are about to do what you what you just said. You know, try to become a, a Meta or, a, or an Amazon or you know, Byte Dance. It's it's it is probably prohibited, but certainly there's a lot of talk in the industry now about focusing more on alternate revenue streams, especially with broadcasting starting to die. Data is a huge buzzword. So talk to us a little bit about kind of the state of the sports industry. And as one of the leading providers of software for fan engagement, but also for data capture, how much easier or not are your conversations at the moment? And how much are people focusing on trying to potentially shift to the business model or even looking to change it in the next, uh, in the next few years? Big question. Um, lots, of, lots of different stories, <laughs> but there is a path.
1: There, there would appear to be a path, maybe some variations on that path, and organizations you will find at various stages on that journey. And I, and I, I would say it's very fashionable right now to say things. You get this in, the, in tech a lot. Our customer base is nowhere near. You know, they're not. They don't know their audience. You know, I uh, Facebook know their audience better than you know League X. Okay, that's true. Facebook probably know me better than I know me. I think we've well established that, or they used to when I used it. I I think we know that already. (laughs) But I, I actually think that a a lot of leagues, um, a lot of organisations, some teams have really surprisingly sophisticated approaches. I I, I think the industry radically under appreciates quite how much effort has gone into understanding audiences data capture data warehousing marketing automation that sits on top of it yeah. sort of automatic segmentation some of the some of the tools you know using cdps and then connecting in tools to do sophisticated things there's there's great technology out there it's not but it's not uniform and so you know one organization that's way behind the curve might get the rest of the industry a bad name as it were Whereas another one, they might not be shouting about it particularly loudly, you know, because they've, you know, they care about the product itself more than they do the inner workings of their IT. Well, but it's a mixed bag, uh, Yanni. And, you know, generally speaking, we're, we see the more sophisticated end of it is really, really impressive. You know, so we just see our job is to get as many people to show up as frequently as possible to have a great time. Uh, to willingly part with their attention data and at some point their cash
2: and tom are you seeing that a lot of the rights holders that you're working with are you seeing them then take the experiences that they're delivering using monterosa out to their partner brands as something that they can sponsor and or is that actually the value for them being able to take some of the the data and insights that's being captured out to their sponsors how how are you seeing that work
1: it's much easier to take the data out. Is is sort of just to make one platform, as you, as you might call it, a website than app to put it crudely, and and to wrap the data around that proposition. And say to a brand, look, this is what you're going to get access to. It's much easier to do that. And so that's in my experience. And you know, I'm I'm not the world's leading expert on this, but that's what I see people do generally. However, your second point is actually where I see magnificent growth being possible, is whereby you've pre-created a suite of assets, or at least you've gone some way to pre-create a suite of assets, which then form part of a deal, which can then be syndicated globally by maybe one global brand who's got different, you know, different brands, skins as it were, in different countries, or maybe it's different brands because you sell, you know, to one brand in Africa and one brand to Latin America. I, I see that as a really key growth area. It's that it's that sort of replication. It's the idea of plug-ins. Okay. That you can sell to um, to brands as part of your deals,
2: and is that things like what EA did using Monterosa? So they had a they've got relationships with lots of different leagues, like the Bundesliga and Premier League, and they're effectively replicating the same interaction across all of those different leagues. It's fair, it's exactly what EA have done.
1: Yes, they've they've realised what they could do was kind of copy paste, but in a uh, an engineeringly an engineeringly wise way. We, we, we can replicate an experience for the Bundesliga. They just added a, added Syria very recently, um, but tailor it just enough, obviously language, but in, in its, how it looks and what it does to be unique to that market. That's exactly how they use our software.
0: Speaking of transactions and offering those out to, to brands, do you guys integrate transaction capability as well within your offering in the interaction cloud?
1: Yeah, so we um, actually got going Within the world of actual sales, we got we got going in the entertainment world uh, before sport. We created the, the the Love Island app, as it still is for ITV. In fact, we've a relationship. What's well, your
0: it's your favorite show, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, as, as, as a funny aside, we uh, I bought Love Island uh, bottles for everybody in the uh, at the team when I was uh, still at Formula E. So uh, even though I'd never watched an episode of it, it was all they talked about, which probably just Goes more to show my age than anything else, but uh, it's it's definitely a cultural phenomenon. <laughs>
1: well, thank, you. thank you
0: for funding our business. Well, <laughs> so there you go. Um, so
1: we 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 had an idea. We we so we provide all the interactive sort of supplementary products for ITV shows. You know, I'm a celebrity, yeah. ITV racing, and so on. Uh, and we had an idea. We thought, well, if we could prove the propensity of that audience to buy product, that would give us a real grasp. On the value of that attention, that's why we. So that's why we did the ITV shop. So we created a store within that product, and we created journeys that would take you into being exposed to like the bottle. Right. Again, we didn't know the bottles were going to be the thing that sold. We thought it was going to be t-shirts, yeah. but it turned out to be the bottle because it was kind of a cultural moment. And we, we've sold something like 1.1 million units of those bottles now in the UK alone it's been an incredible success i mean it's it's waning now to some degree but the volume proves it and we were we were getting you know up to like 5% of the total people using that product were buying product hey. it's incredible conversion rates it you know, these things undulate Yeah, you know, that's you can't sustain that but we got into the business of transacting by doing that so effectively what we do is we integrate an econ platform so that's that's a rather uh, slick integration of shopify within within the product okay. um, we're working on other e integrations at the moment to make that easier so yeah i mean you know there's various ways of doing it we we have learned how to make it work within entertainment it is it, it's more of an open field in sport at the moment because you don't necessarily buy a ticket while you're following the carabao cup final if you see what i mean okay. like the spikes of engagement that we get in sport are not necessarily associated with impulse purchase so, so there's there's a less I think there's a less direct correlation between engagement in the moment and buy, yeah. although betting is the exception. Um, and so you know we have we, we have some betting relationships. We work with Intain and another one in America, um, for example, where you're not trying to get people to bet, per se, just trying to get people to engage, and then when they want to place a bet, they can place a bet.
0: This is specifically, obviously, relevant with predictor games, I would assume, and uh, score prediction, first goals, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a natural step, isn't it, into into that world?
1: It is. It is. I think it's probably less directly correlated um, than we might think, though. Particularly in a saturated market like the UK, if you're into betting, you're already into betting, basically, and you've got five different apps and you know very well how to go and place a bet on the final score of the game. So actually, is that the ultimate funnel? Well, it can be, but it can also just be a driver of retention and prizes and other ways to win and be incentivized that are nothing to do with betting.
0: Hmm. So we've talked about several revenue opportunities, you talked about projects, obviously, software as a service you have the 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 central service uh, interaction cloud with then various products under that but but your fundraising journey hasn't been sort of quote-unquote typical and it I think it's interesting to share why don't you talk to us a little bit about that yeah I mean we're we're a business that doesn't really fit the mold you know we've never
1: done this kind of you know seed fund series a series B. we've never really fitted that that mold because we had history and we probably ought to have rebooted our company completely when when we went from service to SaaS. Uh, but we didn't. We retained, you know, people, name, software, so we're still Monterosa, And we, we've, we've navigated that in our own way. It's different. We've invested a lot more than we've raised, if that makes sense, because, hmm. you know, various parts of our journey, you know, we generate profit and then we put that profit back in. So the actual total invested into R&D has been, you know, much, much more than what we've raised was around seven million. Um however, we've been lucky enough not to have to raise that much and we've been efficient. But we've also, you know, we are kind of like hustlers. You know, we we make money and we try we try and we try and pay the bills. You know, we're not trying to lose money as a business, although we, you know, we deliberately do through periods of investment. We've raised what we need to and and no more than that. And also, you know, we're a UK business. The valuations in the UK are traditionally a bit lower than what they are in the US, for example, and the approach to it has been, I think, commensurately conservative when you compare the, the the kind of maybe the equivalent if we if we lived in New York. Yeah. Um, but I don't regret it at all. I think we've been prudent. I think we've spent our money carefully, and I, and I think it's you know it's got us to a place that we're we're
2: very proud of. Tom, do you think there's been quite a few benefits for you though by not raising lots of capital? Partly not having to give as much of the company away, but do you think also operationally it's made you make better decisions in some ways? Uh, Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. Because the received wisdom of VC world, some of which I find enthralling and is, you know, almost biblical in terms of being useful. Some of it is based on the assumption that you've got a certain volume of cash. You know, some of these approaches to setting organizational structures where you, you have immense amounts of specialism very early in a process. Yeah. All right, when, you're, when you're more capital constrained, you don't do that. You have people doing three different jobs at once. And that, that, that we're taught is a bad thing. But actually, at a certain scale, when you're a sort of startup scale up, I think that turns out to be great because those people learn the full breadth. They're more, they're more rounded individuals. They actually make better progress professionally. There's a lot to, there's a lot to be said for being meager, And I actually think we could be more meager when I look at the mistakes that I've made. You know, I've invested in quite a lot of failure as well as a lot of success. You know, you can make miss hires, you can accidentally invest in an avenue that you believe in, but it doesn't pay off and so on. Done plenty of that as well. So we probably could have earned, you know, probably could have raised less if we'd have had the crystal ball, (laughs) you
2: know? 2020 hindsight's a wonderful thing. Well,
1: the other thing is more, um, the, the, the capital that we have raised, I mean, I'm sure some of our shareholders uh, may not be as, as, as patient as others. <laughs> it depends when you invest it. <laughs> um, but they, they have been uh, fantastic. You know, we've, we've got a great bunch of investors who've, who've all been willing to wait and who I am determined to deliver to at yeah. some point very soon. But I think, I think we've had the benefit of, of wisdom, patience, mentorship and all that that came with it. And I don't think you would always get that from a single fund.
2: And do you think you've been able to leverage your investors beyond the capital that they've provided? You know, the, the value add people talk a lot about value add investors. But do you think you've been able to to see that? Um yeah, massively. Massively. I mean, I'm not just you know, I'm not
1: just saying this, but Robin Shenfield, who was our first investor, who was previously the CEO of the mill, the VFX house, now part of Technicolor. But yeah, Robin was our first investor. He, you know, he wrote a check and literally transferred the money without a contract um, back after we first met. And he then became our chairman. And Robin has been a fantastic guiding force. You know, he's run a business of 2,000 people in the UK, America, and India. He's taught me so many things I wouldn't even know where to start. Like he's constantly, we talk all the time. So Robin was the first. And th- and then our syndicate of investors, Haymarket, you know, Matt Mer- Merrick, gamieni who's the lead investor and the founder of that fund, you yeah, know, Marek's history in business is incredible. What he brought originally was governance. Like we learned how to run a business properly. He made us run it properly. He made you know he made us stay up till three a.m. until we got the budget right on year one.
0: Hey.
1: He got very irritated with me when I didn't get it right and showed me how to do it. <laughs> You know, it's that kind of stuff. Like I didn't know how to do. It. I wasn't. You know, Nobody taught me that in school. You know, I didn't even didn't even go to university. <laughs> I certainly didn't learn accounting. But you know, he he really helped. He and his team, Paul and the others that, and then more recently, Richard Scudamore joined our board and is an investor as well. And he brought with him two other fantastic investors, Chris Rodman and Jeremy of X sky Chris X, Tops, if you remember, member Tops, for those, those of us who spend a lot of money on those things. Um, Still have a lot of cards. Yeah, exactly. But all, all, bu- all business leaders who have done it their way, you know, and have just, if I get half an hour with any of them, I, I come away with, you know, days worth of things to think about. So they, they've been fantastic. We're very
0: lucky. And so with that background, where to from here? What's the plan for Monterosa? Well, there's lots of plans for Monterosso. All my, my, all my plans
1: don't all come to fruition, though. <laughs> You've got to have more than one plan, haven't you? <laughs> you know? Exactly. But it's, um, there, there is, a, I have to say, there is a sense at the moment, just keep doing what we're doing, because there's a certain sense of momentum you can't stand still. You've got to keep innovating. So we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of new product coming down the pipe, which I'm really, really excited by. We're sort of taking those things out to our existing customers at the moment, and you know, this is how we do it. We sort of, we, it's customer-driven innovation. You know, it's not in a lab. Okay. So we've got new product generating more stickiness, more community, you know, more value transactions, more inferred data, more direct data, more all of this stuff. So we've got loads more stuff. We've got, the, we're making the tool much easier to use. We're making the tool highly automatable via AI, which is really exciting. We've just integrated um, Dali. I don't know if you played with Dali uh-huh. yet. We've just integrated it into the platform, so you can you just tell it what picture you want. You know, I, I I want you know a person headering the ball into the back of the net. You know, with his hands in the air, and that's what you get. So we do, we're doing things like that, but we're also making content automation a big thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Trying not not try to do people out of jobs, more and we will try to supplement pre-existing capabilities, you know, the auto-generation of content using AI. So there's a lot of that coming down the pipe. Um, But we're also partnering with third parties, and this is a really big part of what we're doing. So we've partnered with a game studio called Wave, who also specialise in fan engagement. And despite, you know, to the naked eye might look a bit competitive to us, being a great partner with us, they've brought their games into our platform. We have sold and launched some of them to a customer that we're not allowed to talk about, sadly, Um, but very high profile. Um, they they bring something that we would never be able to build like we're not we're not a mobile game studio uh, we're also planning to add other complementary third parties into our marketplace so that you as a subscriber can add on you know at modest cost you can add on access to the uh, these other engagement tools that i'm really excited about the marketplace it's something that we're you know we've invested a lot in it in the capability because it's not easy yeah. um, but it's really starting to bear fruit so lot lots of stuff down the line just keep on doing it growing. North America's big for us. We've got four or five really big customers in North America. I see a lot of growth coming from there, but not exclusively. We're going global and we're doing more and bigger and better.
2: And Tom, slightly on the flip side of that, I guess the other question though is what do you think is the biggest challenges coming on for you? I mean, we've known each other for, for a long time, but we've been talking a lot more in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. One of the things that struck me is actually how much momentum you've got, but also how much you've changed. And almost one of your biggest challenges is getting people that maybe knew you two years ago, three years ago, almost to take another look.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I, I think any business that's been through a pivot, I, mean, I, I would describe ours as more of a soft pivot. You know, we evolved, but we evolved quite rapidly 2020 to 22. And I I think if, you know, if you'd have spoken to us and it would have been a different sales team at the time, if you'd have spoken to us in 2019 even, you would have seen something quite dramatically different to what you see now. And the construct of the business model and the purpose and the way that we operate would have been very different. So yeah, changing perceptions and getting people to take another look, definitely a challenge. Um, Thankfully, when we do, you know, mostly the reaction is, oh, wow, great. Cool. I didn't realize, you know, it was that simple. Now, although, that, so that's that's good. Um, what do I see as the other challenges? I mean, we have we all have to face macro challenges, you know, glo- global issues. We we had to move a lot of people out of Belarus, you know, pretty much overnight. Things like that are not easy. That's you know, we had to do do things. You know, I've never never seen a two week period like it, and and the the potential for that kind of disruption to all businesses is still there. You know, we've got. U.S. elections coming up are probably more impactful than the UK election, even to a UK company. You know, it could, could mean a lot of things, couldn't it? So, there's all that stuff going on. But, um, but generally speaking, you know, the challenges are always for, for us primarily human. You know, keeping a team motivated, keeping everybody focused on what, you know, why are we actually trying to do this? You know, what are we trying to prove? To keep it, keeping the energy up
0: is um is 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 forever a a business challenge and one that I actually quite enjoy. Um I'm curious I just want to take you back real quick to you mentioned about not building the business plan for the first year correctly. Were you overly aggressive or were you too uh, uh did you undershoot?
1: Well as as uh, Steve Blank um Famously said, uh, "No business plan in the history of business plans has ever survived first contact with reality." Yeah, absolutely. No, li- literally, no plan ever matches. And in some cases, we've under. In some cases, we've we've over. You generally find that you know business plans are generally more aggressive and more ambitious than what tends to happen. You get slowed down by things that you haven't predicted. People a bad hire here, or you know various things out like or well, the market. You know, COVID. These things can happen. But I th- I think now it might flip the other way. It depends. I don't you know, yeah. I don't like to be you, know, you don't sort of
0: you'd rather over deliver than under deliver. So we'll we'll see how it pans out. Two final questions then. And one of them is Liverpool, FC are on your list of clients already. So I assume that's that's not going to be the answer. But who would be a dream client, whether in the world of sports or not? I'll tell you what, the truth is we've probably got five or six
1: of the people that you thought think I would say. <laughs> That we can't, that we can't, can't declare publicly. We we've got, and I include Liverpool. Liverpool have been a fantastic partner for us, not not just because I'm a supporter, and I'm sure that had had an impact in my level of persistence to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been willing, they've been willing to innovate with us. Yeah. Um, so even even though you might look at you know a global football federation or an American league as as the dream customer, which they are. What Liverpool have, have helped us do, and you know they're just round the corner, and you know we've got a good relationship. Is they're prepared to go on the innovation journey with us, uh, and that's 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 one facet of it. But in other other walks of, I am not a massive cricket fan, but I would love to work in cricket because volume. Really? Um, I'd love to work in cricket. Uh, I'd love to work in more American sports. I'm f- I'm finding it in fascinating to learn more about American sport. Without I'm a geek. I'm a computer programmer. Who likes football, you know? I'm I'm not a sports industry uh, native, as it were. So I, I don't come pre packed. <laughs> you know? And it's it's really engaging to, to get into American sport. It seems like a limitless amount of
0: possibility then. Mm. And and constantly changing landscape as well, given the given the business model. So the final question then is as a computer programmer and a Liverpool fan, and uh one of the products that you guys do is predictors. How many trophies do you predict Jurgen Klopp will walk away with by the end of his tenure? The end I'm of not season?
1: answering that question.
0: <laughs> there's a there's a
1: Wolves fan here. Um I'm in a I'm in a family of Evertonians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and a good a good fifty percent of Montrose's staff in the UK seem to support Arsenal. So at this moment in time, I'm gonna plead the fifth. And <laughs> I refuse to answer that prediction. That can only backfire. Uh, <laughs> Listen, we've got to win at least one more of the ones that are left, uh, That's all, and I think we all know which one we want it to be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, one for you then, Tommy. It's Liverpool Wolves on the last day of the season, which will be Jürgen, might be Jurgen Klopp's last match, I think. I haven't quite checked.
0: That could be quite an interesting one.
1: Maybe that's the one that we should go to, Charlie.
0: (laughs) I think uh, I have to keep quiet, Charlie. You might uh, you you might be struggling in that one. Well, listen, it's been great to have you on, and fantastic to have you and Monterosa as a newest member of SportsLoft. So, thank you for that. Very quickly for the listeners, if you liked what you listened to, please make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review if uh, you're so inclined. Make sure to follow us on social at HQ and head to our website, sportsoft.co, and sign up for our newsletter, which comes out regularly, regularly um, uh, every week. All that remains for me is to say a big thank you to my wonderful and gorgeous co-host, Charlie Greenwood. Charlie, thank you. Thank you, Yanni. And a big thank you to Tom McDonnell from Monterosa for joining us on the podcast. Tom, we look forward to many more. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks to you both. And to all the listeners, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time in the Sports Loft. Goodbye. Goodbye.